Welcome back to the Resilient Teacher Project. If this is your first time joining me, I'm Julie Sohacki, a clinical professor and program director for English Secondary Education at University of Hartford. If you want to see more, please like my Facebook page, Simplify, Rejuvenate, Teach. It's where I post podcast episodes and other inspiration for teachers. Joining me today is Malika Donaldson, an assistant professor of early elementary education at University of Hartford. She earned her doctorate in human development and education from Harvard University, holds a Virginia teaching license in pre-K to six elementary education, and researches learning and teaching from mistakes in the classroom. It is her passion and joy to contribute to the important work of teacher preparation, and at the University of Hartford, she teaches student teaching seminars and methods courses for elementary and early childhood teacher candidates. Thank you, Dr. Malika Donaldson, for joining me to talk about planning, instruction, and assessment. It's my pleasure to get to talk to you today. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, great. So let's just start right away with planning. How do we prepare teacher candidates or novice teachers to plan effectively? Well, in my opinion, I think there are, you know, a lot of uh, hard skills that you need to learn, the nuts and bolts of lesson planning, um, the different components that are in a plan. Um, And, you know, as you know, in the programs that that novice teachers are in or teacher candidates are in, they're going to be getting a lot of practice kind of using templates that guide them through that process. Um, Across courses here at University of Hartford, students are exposed to lots of different types of lesson plans. So in their different courses, um, some of them use the same template, but some of them have others. And I think that's great practice for new teachers because once you leave a program, or even, you know, if you start at one school and go to another, things could be very different. So one piece of learning how to plan effectively is being prepared for variety. You may have to do things a different way. You may have to elaborate more more in some instances, and you may not need to in others. Um, a really key component, though, that I think is hard, and it's a little bit abstract, is being willing to let go of those very carefully crafted plans if in the moment they're not going well. And so being aware that, yes, you need to put the time in, you need to make sure you understand the content you're teaching, even maybe a grade or two or more above the content that you're teaching so that you can understand where this is going. Um, Know the content, know what your objective is, know what standards you're addressing, um, but also put that time in and be ready and kind of think ahead for some contingencies and then be willing to let go if there are classroom management issues, if um, students already know things you were going to teach them or they don't know anything, they don't have any of the prerequisite knowledge, what are you going to do? That's also part of planning. And I think it's something that you you can learn with more practice and in time, but it's nice to ha- for new teachers to have a heads up it's not just going to go perfectly just the way you planned. They're not going to respond exactly the way that you thought and that that's okay. That's part of that's part of being a teacher and part of planning. I really love your response, especially when you talk about letting go, because especially with new teachers, it's important to do the planning process from the beginning to the end to even over plan. But then in the end, there's times that we just have to know 
I need to let this go and we need to go in this direction instead. I actually think it's critical to over plan, as you put it. I mean, you don't want to go crazy, but like you really, if you are new at teaching, this is really hard. There's a million things happening when you're in an actual context that have nothing to do with what you put on the paper. Um, so you better have your plan on the paper, in your head, you know, whatever, all the materials prepared ahead of time, ready to go 100% so that you can have the mental capacity to be responsive to all the other things going on. These two kids are arguing or there's, you know, something going on at the school that you weren't expected with. You have more time than you thought you'd have. You have less time than you thought you'd have. You need to be, you know, as ready as you can be for these things while also showing yourself grace and realizing you're not going to get this perfect the first time you do it. And, you know, if you're fortunate, able to stay in the same classroom for at least another year, you can learn from these experiences you had. Um, I, you know, even I've taught kindergarten, I've worked with all ages, K through 12. I've taught preschool. Wow. Um, I, and I have taught at university level for years. And like, I take a lot of notes, even when I'm teaching now, because I want to know how students are receiving what I've planned. I do lesson plans for every single class that I teach. And I have in my mind what I think I'm going to do. And then in the, I'm taking notes, I'm looking at times, how long are things taking? And I'm like, oh, they're going this path. I was going to circle back to this, but guess what? Let's just save that for next time that I need to give them enough time to think about that. I don't want to rush that in five minutes. I'd rather give them 15. Just being responsive. That's my, that's my approach is letting go of my beautiful, my beautiful plan, if it makes sense. And, um, and it certain, it serves the students in their learning and, and in their process. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure. Let's shift gears into talking about, um, instruction and the importance of a student centered classroom. What do you, how do you feel about that? I think that it's critical that we have a student-centered classroom. We're living in a time where there's a lot of focus on standards, assessment, delivering, um, you know, delivering content. And so not, I'm, that is important. I mean, that is the world that we're in. And there are a lot of, you know, there's funding attached to these things. Sometimes there's accountability that we have, and there's a lot that you get from accountability. But if we're overly focused on the teacher's content, the teacher's plan, you lead, you, you lean toward coverage. I covered everything that I was supposed to cover. I taught, I taught lessons that cover the standards that are required and the students need to step up to the plate. So yes, we want to challenge them, but that's, you can still have high standards for students and you can still use those standards as your guide and be student centered where you're more responsive and you're, you're, you're hyper aware. You're focused on where are the students when they walk in my door? Where are they? Not where are they supposed to be? Not where do the standards say they should be? But where are they actually today? And not just um, with content, but also with who they are as human beings, um, their humanity, their, you know, things are going on at home, things are going on in their personal life, whether they, you know, sometimes kids, Young kids have things that they're upset about that you're like, we need to just move on from that. But for them, it's so real. It's hard for kids to just push that to the side and be completely logical and move move on. Um, so I think 
in a in a in a student centered classroom, I think that humility and empathy are two key things. As the teacher, you've come in, you've prepared, you've planned, as we were talking about. Um, but also acknowledging that you don't know every single thing that students might ask you something that's outside of what you know in that moment, and being willing to say, "Oh, I'm not sure." that's a really great question. We should investigate that. Or maybe you can investigate that or we can do it together depending on how much time you have. Um, That allows their curiosity, the things they're interested in to come forward and for them to feel stronger as learners. Um, I also say empathy because we need to, as teachers, put ourselves in our students' shoes. What kind of life circumstance are they in as a second grader, as as an 11th grader? Um, as a college student, you know, what kinds of things are in their world? They bring all of that to our classrooms. And they, as much as we might wish they could leave it at the door and just focus squarely on content, that's all a part of the equation. So I, of course, I believe in, you know, allowing students the opportunity to learn um, challenging content, pushing them to be their very best, working hard to meet standards that are, um, you know, for their grade level. And, but I also think we need to pay attention to their whole selves and, Mm -hmm. and just remember, we used to be like them, (laughs) you know, even though we're the teacher now, we were in that grade, we had a life experience then, and it can be hard and being willing to balance the academic with the interpersonal and relational part of teaching is critical to me. Mm-hmm. That is wonderful. And I agree wholeheartedly with that balance. It's so needed in the classroom. So thank you. So as we move to the assessment piece, I'm just wondering how teachers can creatively assess other than using paper pencil assessments that I know are maybe a little easier at first, but do you have some ideas how teachers can expand their assessment process? Sure. Um, so I... I think that having those numbers um, can be really helpful in lots of ways. They can help you understand where your students are at individually over time. They can help you get a snapshot of where your students are at um, at that moment on specific content. But the I think that one of the most exciting types of assessment you can use is actually more qualitative, mm-hmm. um, spending time. I think qualitative assessment is overlooked. It's not as tangible um, as far as being able to make a graph or give a a table or something like that. But documentation, which is something that in my training I learned about when I was learning more about Reggio Emilia and things like that, um, that, that that's in early childhood and focuses basically the curriculum is designed around student interest. And so there's a lot of documentation, photographs, note taking, and it's on the individual child. And then curriculum is made um, to be responsive to what the children are interested in, what where they are developmentally, that sort of thing. I think that although we wouldn't put Reggio throughout K-12 the whole way, I think that that is inspirational to me mm-hmm. that we can um, remember that those qualitative notes that qualitative documentation, photographs, um, remembering the stories of the learning is an important part of understanding who the students are and, and being able to assess where they are at 
where they might go next, what extra supports they need. And it can really come in handy down the road um, as you're working with students and help you to get to know those students even better, um, which always any place where you can strengthen those interpersonal relationships are going to just serve you time and time again. Um, so I think I, I am, ex I, I do this even now as a professor, I collect student work. I take photographs of things, um, of, of artifacts from the classroom and things like that, because I just think helps me know where the students are. So that's my, that's my tip for getting away from pen and paper. And it also allows you to capture what happens in discussion. You might even consider audio recording, not for any purposes other than yourself, just to mm -hmm. know what that conversation went like, audio yes. recording or even video recording, what's happening? Um, how are we interacting with each other? How did they respond? And it allows you to cue in, to, to zoom in to some of those um, affective cues that you might miss in real time. Yes, that is really powerful. I've actually recorded just discussions of Socratic seminars and I'm able to then take notes and really give feedback that's so much better than if it wasn't recorded. So I love that. Absolutely. I mean, in my research, I often observe classrooms and I observe it in real time and I take field notes, but then later I go back and I look at the video really closely and really slowly. And I see really different things when I look at the video or listen to the audio than in real time, everything so fast. So that's, that's that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Malika, what is the one best piece of advice that you can share with teachers? I think the best piece of advice I have is to be flexible. Be flexible with yourself. Be flexible with your students. Um, I study mistakes. That's part of what I'm curious about in the classroom. And we really can't learn without them. And so I think we should expect we should expect mistakes and, and when we are really challenging ourselves or when we're learning something new, which hopefully is happening a lot in the classroom. And to be able to respond to that, you've got to be willing to move away from what you thought was going to happen. Um, and so staying flexible is my advice. Yeah, I love that. Okay. And how can teachers bring more kindness and compassion into the classroom? I think that this all goes back to empathy. I think that we have an empathy debt in society at large. Yes. Um, and that, of course, is just pervasive everywhere. I think if teachers are able to find ways to really listen to students and be curious about them, ask questions, learn about their lives, learn about what they want to know, um, I think that that will go a long way into understanding where they're coming from. And I think that kindness and compassion um, are fostered in an environment like that where you really show care and concern and maybe even consider sharing pieces of yourself that you feel comfortable sharing. Maybe there are hobbies, maybe there are um, things that have happened to you that connect to what you're learning, just where we can bring more humanity into the classroom. I think that that kindness and empathy can come out of that. I love that. That reminds me of positive discipline and um, just that emotional um, you know, resilience and the, and the emotional honesty that you can have with your students to model that for them so that you can start those conversations. And how do you define a resilient teacher? I think a resilient teacher is not afraid to try and mess up. Um, yes. Teachers 
teaching is really hard work and it, it requires a lot of effort. And when things go sideways and they will go sideways at some point, just being ready for that, knowing that that's coming and being reflective about it. Pay attention to what went wrong. Actually focus on thinking about it, not to beat yourself up, but to try to figure out why and seek out what can be learned from it and applied the next time. And so that assumes that you're going to be willing to try again, which is, I think, a key part of being resilient. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. And can you just share in closing one of your self-care practices just to inspire the teachers (laughs) out here? Sure. I actually think about self-care a lot. Um, I think that my my go-to thing is to just take a clean break. And that could be, I'm working on something, I'm feeling really tired, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling stuck. I'm leaving the room, I'm taking a walk, I'm going away. Um, It could also be putting on my calendar, no working (laughs) on a Saturday and Sunday, no working aloud, and then having the problem of what am I going to do today? That's the great thing. Um, I think that tasks in this work as educators, they're just endless. You could work Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still not be done. So I try to build hard stops in, and that goes from at two o'clock, I'm stopping, and I'm going to go take a walk, and I'm going to be outside and sit sit and not be productive for a while. Or it could be, um, you know, I have this big buildup, and at the end of the year, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to go do something great. I'm going to go do something fun. I'm going to go somewhere where there's low tech or no tech only and just exist as a human. So that's, you know, that's one of my key things that I do is just force myself to stop, which is hard, but I always benefit from it every single time. I think everybody would benefit from that, really setting those boundaries. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. If you are an 11th or 12th grade teacher or no one, please listen to this invitation. I would love to meet 11th and 12th grade students on the University of Hartford's campus in West Hartford, Connecticut for a free field trip. University of Hartford has some free events this fall and you and your students are invited. The Department of English and Modern Languages is sponsoring three incredible readings and would love to host your students on our campus this fall. So stop by and listen to a poet or a novelist. Check out my Facebook page at Simplify Rejuvenate Teach for more information. I'm Julie Sohacki. Please email me with any questions or comments at sohacki at hartford.edu, S-O-C-H-A-C-K-I. And please like my Facebook page, Simplify Rejuvenate Teach where I post the podcast episodes and more inspiration. Thank you as always for joining me and until next time, take good care.